Well, good morning, Community of Grace. Good to be with you here on this beautiful summer morning. And we are continuing on in our current sermon series, and I want to be sure to uh, let uh, a good wave go to those of you who are over watching the sanctuary, as well as those of you who are watching online today. It's good to be in this sermon series. i got to tell you something. Um, this is the, one of the earlier times that I've used to go all the way through the Gospel of Matthew. It's the first time I've done it since I've been here at Community of Grace. And uh, I am learning new things. I hope you're learning new things, too as you're taking time to study and go step by step and chapter by chapter through the Gospel of Matthew, there are always new things to learn. And it's been a powerful time for me just encountering God within the Scriptures. And uh, I want to encourage you to continue to be on that journey with me and with the rest of our church as we're working through the Gospel of Matthew according to to Jesus, really, at the center of all of this throughout the course of this summer. So please jump in if you haven't already. As we've been working through the Gospel of Matthew, we are discovering something that is essential and crucial to understanding Matthew's approach to the Gospel message about Jesus. And that's this. Jesus is king, and he's building his kingdom. Jesus is king, and that's really what we get from the very opening chapter within the gospel according to Matthew, is this declaration that, that Jesus comes in this lineage. He is, he is part of the story of Abraham and part of the story of David, a descendant of Abraham, a descendant of David, Lord and King, Messiah. It's all about Jesus. And this gospel, according to Matthew, makes that so evident in its early pages and the way that the Old Testament and the New Testament are tied together in this book. So it's a great thing to be reading but it's also important to understand that this kingdom that Jesus has come to inaugurate, that he has come to embody, is a different kingdom than any other kingdom that has ever existed in the history of the world or ever will exist in the history of the world. It's greater and more amazing than any kingdom we've ever known. And why is that? It's because Jesus changes everything. And Jesus' presence announces something and is here to teach us something so vital about who God is. And we want to continue to learn that today. And we're going to find out some important answers to these questions about Matthew and about Jesus and about the gospel today as we continue on. Today we're turning to Matthew chapter 7, which is the third chapter in what we call the Sermon on the Mount. Five, six, and seven all focus in on this one time that Jesus was on the hillside or the mountainside or the plain. I think he preached this message many times throughout his ministry in Israel and, and throughout Judea. But we come to it here today and we see how it starts in chapter 5 with Jesus declaring the blessedness of people, how God has come to bless people and those who are in on his blessing and those who are missing the point of his blessing. Those who hunger and thirst for righteousness are those amongst those who are blessed. Not those who think that they are righteous or that they've got it all figured out. It's those who have a hunger for God's goodness and recognize that the only place that it can be filled is by God himself. And that carries us through all of the great teaching within the Sermon on the Mount. And I tell you what, there's no way we could cover everything that is within these three chapters in just the three weeks that we've been talking about it. There's so much that is so rich here. 
And as I invite you this morning to open up your Bibles to the Gospel according to Matthew, chapter 7, I want to set the scene for the one place in the Gospel of Matthew, right at the very end of the Sermon on the Mount, that we're going to hone in on, starting at verse 24. But let me just set the stage here. Jesus is continuing to teach and preach, and within chapter 7 are some of the most well-known sayings, teachings, and focus of Jesus' ministry. You will hear parts of chapter 7 in all sorts of different places in our lives. We find in chapter 7 something that we call the golden rule, right? Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. We also hear in chapter 7, Jesus famously saying, do not judge, which really is not the best translation of that. It's more like, do not condemn to hell other people. Because by the same measure that you condemn others, you're condemned. Famous, important words of Jesus. And then we come to this conclusion of this incredible sermon where Jesus is moving up to a pinnacle point of wanting to point out the most important thing that he has to say throughout this entire great sermon. And it begins in chapter 7 at verse 24. If you've got your Bibles, please open up there to chapter 7 and read along with me, beginning at verse 24 of chapter 7. Here it is. These are the words of Jesus. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell with a great crash. When Jesus had finished saying these things, the crowds were amazed at his teaching because he taught as one who had authority and not as their teachers of the law. Maybe you've heard this story before about building on the rock and the storms coming and, and the house that's built on the rock stands and the one that's built on the sand falls. Well, you know, you could summarize all of this into this phrase. Without the right foundation, whatever you build will collapse. Without the right foundation, whatever you build will collapse. I'm sure many of you have been following along with the tragic, horrifying news stories of what happened out in Miami just a couple of weeks ago now. A building built in the 1980s filled with homes and lives and people that collapsed tragically. Its foundation giving way. And now the, the total death count is up to 86 people, and there are still more who will likely be found. It's tragic, it's horrifying, and it is a visual example of the metaphor in which Jesus is giving us here. Without the right foundation, whatever you build will collapse, and it may come unexpectedly. And when it does, it hurts people. Lives are destroyed and lost. So what Jesus is talking about here is incredibly important 
Not just in the physical realm, but in the spiritual realm. It applies to all of it. Physical construction as well as spiritual construction. Jesus says if you want to be his follower, you need to build your life on him. Because that term, the rock, that shows up in other places in Scripture. It shows up within the Gospel of Matthew. Later on, when when Jesus, referring to himself, says that the, the stone that the builders rejected has now become the cornerstone. And Peter himself repeats this in the first chapter of Peter when he says, as you come to him, the living stone. As you come to Jesus, the one who is the living stone, the rock, the firm foundation, Jesus is that rock. Jesus is that firm foundation. And these terms get used like cornerstone or keystone or capstone in describing who Jesus is. Now, in construction terms, the people in Jesus' time would understand these things, and some of us may understand them today, but but a cornerstone is what's laid on top of the bedrock. You make sure that whatever it is that the cornerstone sets upon, it sets upon a foundation that is laid on something solid, something that isn't going to move, something that isn't going to shift, something that's going to hold up in the storms of life when they come to beat and batter you. So Jesus is being described as this cornerstone, this this stone that is set in place that everything else must align itself to. But Jesus is also described as the capstone because the word is almost interchangeable in Greek. And the capstone is the last stone that goes in. Sometimes it's called a keystone. If you've ever seen an arch being created, they build two different sides of the arch, and it's really important as they build them up that this center stone gets fit perfectly in place to align and finish it all and help it all hold together. You have to support those other arches with something else until that last piece gets put into place. So Jesus is the cornerstone And he is the capstone. He is the beginning and the end. He is the alpha and the omega. These things all tie in to scriptural themes. Important things that Jesus understood and that his followers would have have heard as well. Jesus is making it clear. Build your life on this foundation. Make sure that it's firm and solid. And the thing is this, there are so many other foundations that people build their lives on. Today, and all the way back in the time of Jesus. And some of them, surprisingly enough, are pretty much the same. (laughs) Because we're human beings. And the things that affect human beings now are very similar to the things that affected human beings in the time of Jesus, or from the very dawn of creation ever since the fall. We are human beings, and we try to build things on other things other than Jesus. What are some of these other foundations? Well, some try to build things on a foundation of might. And when I say might, I mean like control. I mean like might is right. The strongest, the most powerful, whoever can rally the strongest to them, whether that's being rallied in a, in a military sense or whether it's being rallied in a, in, a, in a political sense or whatever other sense of the word that you get. Might, when we build ourselves on might, on strength that is our own human strength, guess what? 
It's not a firm foundation. And all you got to do, again, is look around a little bit to know that this is true. The greatest military powers in history have all had a period of time where they were great and then a period of time where they collapsed. The greatest, greatest empires, the greatest political powers, you name it, no matter what it is, it may look strong, it may project strength and power for a time, but if you try to build your life being reliant upon those kinds of strength and power, you're in for a big fall. You're in for a collapse because it won't hold up. There are other kinds of foundations. First one's might. The second one I would describe is moralism. Moralism. What is it to build on moralism? Well, moralism is basically saying this. I'm doing it right, and you're doing it wrong. And if all of you would just do things right the way I do it, then everything would be great. I'll just build my life on the fact that I do more right things than you do. And if everybody would just align with the right things that I do and just get it right, well, then we would have something strong. Again, good luck with that. Because anytime you try to establish the things that you do as being right and the things that everybody else does as being wrong, it's amazing how we always seem to pick and choose the things that are easy and natural for us and the things that we don't struggle with to define our version of right. And we seem to pick that the things that everybody else struggles with as the things that are wrong. You see, when you build your life on being right or on just doing all the right things all the time, you are setting yourself up for a fall. Because somewhere, at some point, at some time, something is going to come along in your life that you're not going to get right. And if you've built your entire reputation, your idea of life on the fact that you will get it all right, it's the wrong foundation. And it's going to collapse. So there's might, <laughs> there's moralism, and then, of course, there's another M, which is money. Build your life on your financial ability to provide for yourself. If I just get all the numbers right, if I just make all the right investments, if I just accumulate enough wealth, I can take care of myself. That will be a solid platform to build my life and the life of others around me. Again, good luck with that. Because all you got to do is look at recent history <laughs> to realize that if you try to build your life on the financial means by which you think you provide for yourself, all it takes is the snap of a finger and all that you've saved and all that you've put into can be gone. It can be gone through theft. It can be gone through mismanagement. It can be gone through a terrible health crisis that strikes you that you weren't prepared for and suddenly everything that you've built your life on is gone. It collapses. Might, moralism, and money. And then I'll throw in a fourth one that doesn't have an M in front of it. 
I tried, but I couldn't get an M for this one. You could build your life on information. On information. I know more than you. And all of my sources that I've got are better sources than your sources. And as long as I know more and am better informed than you are, I'll be in control. I can manage my life. I will build it on my ability to be smarter than everybody else. That only works if there's only one source of information. Anybody notice that there's a lot of different competing sources of information out there right now? Of course there is. And honestly, there always has been. And if you build your life and try to make your platform and your foundation be about the information that you can acquire, somebody's going to come along and snatch that away because it won't take long before there's a competing form of information that says that everything that you learned isn't right. And we're right back to where we were with moralism and might and money. These are the things that so often entrap us into building our lives upon. And they did in the time of Jesus and they still do today. Political power and moralism this was the work of the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the Roman Empire in the time of Jesus. They were all tied and woven together. And they show up today for us as well. That's why Jesus is so insistent in this time that he is talking to them to say, listen, you can't build your life on that. You can't build your life on any other foundation you can try, but eventually it's going to shift. Eventually the waves are going to crash. The winds and storms are going to come, and it's going to shake that foundation, and it's going to shake it, and the whole thing is going to fall apart. And you'll be left in a heap and maybe buried under it. Jesus is the capstone and the cornerstone. He is the alpha and the omega. And he says, listen, you want to build this? You've got to build it on the rock which is him personally, he himself. Jesus is this capstone and this cornerstone. Jesus is the rock. But there's something else about Jesus. There's something else about what Jesus says in this passage that is more and helps us to understand more. You see, Jesus starts off by saying that if you hear my word and put it into practice... Now, we hear that today, and we think, of course, well, that's great. We want to hear Jesus' words. But what we may miss out on is the significance of what Jesus is saying in the company that he's around. Jesus has been spending time all throughout these three chapters saying things like, well, you know, you've heard it said. In other words, you've heard Moses say these things. You've heard the great lawgiver say these things, but I say this. Those are earth-shaking words. And here Jesus brings it into focus. He says, listen, you build on anything other than my words and putting them into practice, and the whole thing's going to fall apart. Jesus is saying something bold and radical here when he says these words. And when we talk about Jesus being the capstone and the cornerstone, which are the metaphors that Scripture uses, I think there's another metaphor that's at work here, and it's this. Jesus is also the Rosetta Stone. Now, 
If you've ever heard of the Rosetta Stone, some of you may have heard of it or not be real familiar with what it is, or you might know about it as a, as a program that you can buy in order to learn foreign languages. Well, it's all tied together because the Rosetta Stone was a, an archaeological find a couple hundred years ago, if my timing is correct, but it was found along the banks of the Nile. And what it had on this Rosetta Stone was three different languages. And up till that time, nobody really understood what hieroglyphics meant. They had guesses, but there was no key to understanding what it all meant. And they found this stone suddenly that had words written on it in three different languages, including Greek. And they were able to translate now what these hieroglyphics actually meant. And it was earth-shattering. It was world-changing. And we've since seen other ones that are similar to this that have come along. But it changed everything, and we've taken on this term now since then to mean what it means when you, when you find the key, when you find the, the, the piece at the end that helps you understand and interpret everything else that, that you've been seeing. It's a Rosetta Stone, and that's what Jesus is when he says these words. He says, I'm the rock that you're going to build upon. And you build it upon the words that I say and putting them into practice. And Jesus is essentially saying, listen, everything else that you know about God comes through me. If you don't get Jesus, you won't understand any of the rest of it. Jesus interprets, translates, and incarnates the word of God. God. And let me say something. I think we have a real translation problem in the church today. And it's this. We treat the Bible too often like it's a phrase book that you get for visiting a foreign country. And have you ever seen those phrase books? You know, since Google Translate came along, most people are like, hey, no problem, I can just speak into this and it'll translate it for me. Really cool, amazing technology. But back in the day, if you took a trip from here to France and you didn't know any French, you might pick up a little phrase book that you could peel your way through the phrase book and you could pull out a couple of phrases like, where's the bathroom? <laughs> or, hi, I'm lost, can you point me to the train station? It would give you a few key phrases to help you survive. But nobody in their right mind would think that you became fluent in that language through a phrase book. Just plucking out a few phrases from a foreign language doesn't make you fluent in that language. To be fluent in that language, you have to be immersed in that language. You have to spend time in conversation with people, and eventually over time, you will pick up all of the nuances of that language, and now you become part of that culture. Listen, there is a kingdom language that Jesus wants us to understand, and there's a kingdom story that starts in Genesis and continues all the way through the book of Revelation. It's all there. But if you just pick and choose the individual phrases and verses that happen to, to meet your particular need at any given time, you are really missing the point. And the point is Jesus himself. Jesus says, if you want to understand all of this, 
If you want to have a firm foundation to build your life on, you build it on me and my words and the ways that I have taught you to put them into practice. And if you do that, all the rest of the pages open up. All the rest of the stories start to make greater and greater sense. And it doesn't happen overnight. It happens through really, really closing in on the person and work of Jesus. We must become fluent in Jesus before we can ever hope to really embrace and understand and live in his kingdom. The kingdom that he is announcing throughout these pages of Matthew that he will continue to exemplify all through this book, this kingdom is a radical kingdom, and it's so different in so many ways than the kind of kingdoms that we are accustomed to, including the, the foundations and kingdoms that we build for ourselves. We must look to Jesus first, see what Jesus has to say. Jesus said it this way when he was talking with the Pharisees and Sadducees. He said, you search the scriptures, hoping in them you will find eternal life. When all of the scriptures point to me. That's what Jesus says. They point to him. So that Jesus can then point back to those scriptures and say, now do you get it? Now do you understand? Now do you see the kind of kingdom that I have come to bring? It's a different kingdom. It's a kingdom built on Jesus, on who he is and what he has done. That's the firm foundation. That's the rock. And he is the cornerstone and the capstone and the keystone and the Rosetta Stone for us to build our lives on and understand who God is. As it says in Hebrews chapter 1, he is the perfect revelation of who God is. You want to know God? Know Jesus. You want to understand God's word? Know Jesus. You want to understand how to move forward in life? Know Jesus. You want to understand how to treat your neighbor? Know Jesus. It's all about Jesus. And maybe I'm the only one who's really getting excited about this, but I am. And I know you are too. Because you folks take Jesus seriously. I want to be immersed in this Jesus of Nazareth. I want to become fluent in Jesus. People like to say that we have a, a, a problem with biblical literacy in our church and in our world. And that's true, but we have a bigger problem with Jesus literacy. We get fluent in Jesus, well, the translation becomes much more straightforward with the rest of the Bible. Because it all has to line up with who Jesus is. And it does. And it reveals who he is and what he has come to do and what he has already done and what he is continuing to do and what he will do when he comes again. All of it's there, friends we build on this rock. So how do we proceed? Well, I would suggest this. Let's become like children. Because Jesus says, the kingdom belongs to such as these. People with a childlike faith. And you know what? One thing that children are really good at doing 
that we as adults tend to lose the ability to do? Learn a new language. You want to learn a new language? Watch a child. Children learn languages much better and much easier than adults do because they don't have nearly as much to unlearn. We have some unlearning to do as adults, but we can approach God with a childlike humility, with a childlike heart that says, God, you know what? I'm not sure that I fully get you, Jesus. I want to. I hunger and thirst to know you more, but I'm not going to be so proud as to say I've got it all figured out. I want to approach you, Jesus, with a humble heart. I want to ask questions. I want to be willing to make mistakes. I want to be willing, Jesus, to let you change my mind about things that I may have thought that were just flat out wrong. I want to be humble enough to say, hey, you know what? (laughs) I don't know what the answer to that question is. I did something with the kids while I was in VBS this couple of weeks ago. I got to play a character. It was a lot of fun. Got to be in the tent, and, and the kids would come in, and we were teaching them how to make tambourines, and, and they would come in and talk with me, and, and then they'd see that I would have my cell phone next to me or something, and they'd be like, hey, hey, if we're in this tent, and this is supposed to be, how, where did you get a cell phone? <laughs> and I came up with a response that I used over and over again. That is a wonderful question. That was it. I didn't try to answer the question. I just moved on. But in reality, I think there's a lot of times when people ask us questions about our faith, about a a particular verse in the Bible, about a particular chapter or something, and and, and we try to, to, to go beyond our own understanding and say, well, listen, I've got that all figured out. Let me tell you exactly what that means. Sometimes those things will be more clear as we grow and as we grow closer to Jesus. Other times we'll be like, you know what? That's a really good question. And I don't know what the answer is. But I know Jesus. I'm learning to know him more and more. I'm learning to understand his love for me. I'm learning to understand his grace at work in my life. I'm learning to be humble enough to, to, to be in those places where when I don't understand what somebody else is doing and, and stopping for a second and going, well, you know what? Maybe the problem with the fact that I don't understand what they're doing or that I think wrong about what they're doing, maybe it has more to do with the plank in my own eye than the speck that I see in theirs. That's also in Matthew chapter 7. Jesus is bringing this all together into this place of letting us know that we must build on him. Let me close with this. Some of us have been on a journey of looking to build our lives on Jesus for a long time. And I would say this to you, if you've built your life on any other foundation, it's time to move before it all collapses. But if you've been building your life on Jesus and the storms have started to rage and the waves have started to crash, and you're holding on going, I don't know if this is going to work. I don't know if I'm going to make it through this. Listen, Jesus will hold you up. Jesus will hold you up. Trust that Jesus will hold you up. 
The foundation is solid. The rock won't let you down. Cling to Jesus. And no matter how hard the wind blows, no matter how big the waves are that crash against you, even if you're concerned about the strength of what you've built, trust on the rock on whom you have put your foundation. Jesus himself. He will hold you up. He will carry you through. That's the good news. Let's pray. Jesus, when it comes to knowing who you are and understanding what you have done, Lord, I confess I am still a child. I still have so much to learn and Lord, I am so grateful that you have called me and you have called those within the sound of your voice who have put their trust in you, Lord, to follow you and to continue to learn. And because of what you have done, Lord, we have an eternity to learn of you and about you and ultimately face-to-face with you. Thank you, Jesus, for being our teacher Thank you for being our solid rock. Now, Lord, help us to listen to your word, to put it into practice in ways that are totally countercultural and in ways that in some ways are totally opposite of the way that our first instincts are to live. But you are so good and so patient and so faithful. Thank you, Lord, that we can trust in you knowing that with you, all things will be okay. It is well with our soul when we trust in you, Jesus. Draw us in close today. We pray these things, Jesus, in your name. Amen.